Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. Can we get your Bibles open them up to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4? We've kind of hit parts of 2 Timothy chapter 4 today. Today I'm hoping to be able to get more through the, enti- the entire chapter <laughs> uh, to give you a sense of kind of what the Apostle Paul um, is experiencing in this, the last letter that he ever writes. Um, Paul gives us, a, he gives us a glimpse in, um, in kind of some of the not-so-desirable sides of Christianity or not-so-desirable sides of ministry. Uh, Before I start, I'm going to use myself for some examples in this particular sermon, but I want you to know that I'm not looking for pity from you. Don't give me pity. Um, I will use those examples for the sake of you realizing yourself that God has also called you to minister. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I'm I'm the only one in the church being called to minister. Um, This right out of the chute, this is going to start right off given... Uh, commands to individuals who are Christians, period. Um, pastors may find themselves in these situations a little bit more because this is what we do for, uh, for a living. Um, but it doesn't mean that each and every one of you who are not preachers will not experience the, the difficulties and the challenges and the struggles that come along with ministry. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in uh, this particular passage of Scripture, he is imprisoned. He does believe, <clears throat> as and he was right, historically speaking, that this would be his last imprisonment before his death. Um, and you've heard me uh, ask you many times before, if you knew that you didn't know exactly how much time you had, it could be a week, it could be two weeks, um, within, within a, a, a relatively short amount of time, you were going to die, and you had our letter to write, to someone that you cared for, what kind of information would you put in it? Now, Paul, he sends, he is sending this information to Timothy for the sake of hoping that Timothy is going to end up being equipped. And we're going to point out why he would have been concerned about that in this particular passage of Scripture. It gives us some insight into why he might have actually been uh, concerned about Timothy, not just because of some of the signs that Paul's seen, and but because Paul knew what kind of struggles uh, that Timothy was actually getting into by even involving himself in ministry. Timothy being a young, uh, young individual, even at this point, he would have been younger than, uh, than the average individual who was involved in ministry. Um, and he knew, Paul knew that not only had Timothy already seen what Paul was going through, Timothy was about to see what Paul was, what the end of Paul's life looked like. And we all know Nero beheaded Paul. Nero cut Paul's head off. Because he blamed Paul for stirring up the trouble and decided he wanted Rome to look different. So he set Rome on fire and said, hey, I got an idea who I can blame. And he blamed Paul, the leader, um, the establisher of the Christian church to the Gentiles. Paul knew his life was coming to an end. This being the last chapter in this letter, he points out some really in-depth information if we uh, take the time to look at it closely. Uh, So in chapter 4, verse 1, 
I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. I won't spend too much time on these two verses, but I do want to say this. The Apostle Paul understood that the single greatest uh, strength to the church, the one thing that he wanted to see happen after he was gone, the legacy, so to speak, that he would leave would be a legacy with this, I solemnly charge you, command for individuals to preach the gospel. And to preach the gospel, not when it's just convenient. And we are Christians, we will take advantage of the convenient opportunities, won't we? Isn't it great when a Jehovah's Witness comes straight to your door and knocks on it? Ain't it awesome when somebody walks up to you and actually asks you about this faith you have in Jesus? Isn't it wonderful when you find yourself right in the center of a situation where God just sends people straight to you? In season or out of season? Those are definitely in-season opportunities, right? In-season, out-of-season. Preach the gospel. People think, and I've mentioned this, I think, on Sunday night or Wednesday night, people think the word gospel means just proclaiming salvation in Christ. It does not. The gospel, the word gospel means truth. Preach the truth. Be ready. Be instant. In-season and out-of-season. Now, the, the reason that he put in the first part of that first verse, <clears throat> I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and by his kingdom. This is directly speaking on the authority of God and Christ himself, that the one thing that the church has been told to do is to preach the gospel. He's telling this to Timothy. Timothy is supposed to be an individual who is relaying this to other individuals. Now, what's the political atmosphere right now? Well, they're very quickly approaching the time where all of the Jews are driven out of Jerusalem. The temple is completely destroyed. Jews are being rounded up, taken to the Roman Colosseum, being fed to lions while they still live, being split from their chin to their belly buttons, filled with corn, tied to the ground, and, and people just watch as hogs eat the corn out of their insides while they're alive. The phrase torn limb from limb, tying teams of horses to individuals' arms and legs and yanking them literally into pieces. This is a point in time where Christianity was not only good for your health, it could kill you. So what authority is great enough to make you do it? Really only one. And it's God himself. Who will judge the living and the dead. There will be basically two judgments. I could break it down into three. There is the judgment seat of Christ which is where every one of us as believers will, will appear, and we will not be judged as if condemnation is a possibility. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
That has been taken off the table. Nobody knows what the judgment seat of Christ looks like. Nobody knows exactly what that's going to look like. But I do know this. How many of you guys have ever stood before a parent when you did something that you know disappointed them? How do you suppose we'll feel if we're individuals who live lives that are disappointing to our God? And one day we find ourselves standing before him. We're in a relationship. We don't have to fear condemnation. Our, how many of you guys wish that you had a whipping instead of your mom saying, I am so disappointed in you? I would rather be beat and it gotten over with than to have somebody that I cared for tell me, I'm disappointed in you. This Jesus who lived gave up the life that he, that he had. Gave up the eternity that he had, put on flesh, came down here and lived the lives that if we were honest, any one of us would not have left behind. In order to come down here and to experience the pain, the suffering, the emotions, the difficulties, the disappointments, the temptations, the struggles that we feel here on earth, Jesus Christ willingly gave up what he had to come down here to experience what every one of us live. And then he went and did the one thing that we will never be asked to do. Bear the sins of every human being from the point of creation to the time of destruction. Why is it that we fear the condemnation of man more than we do even the accountability of God? Because if we really knew who God was and we respected him for who he was, we would preach a gospel, especially in an instant that it would get us killed. I give you my life, Lord, until my life is expected of me. That's too far. In this country, Christians don't share their faith. Maybe, possibly, once in a while, in an in-season moment, People will share their faith. And we'll do it because we don't do it because we're afraid that people are going to say something mean to us. We're nowhere near the point of it actually costing us our life. Paul was. Timothy was. But the solemn charge is still there. And the solemn charge, make no mistake, is a command. It's a command with the best of intentions and motivations behind it, when he said, um, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, he's literally saying, God is the one that's commanding you to proclaim the gospel. He's the one that's commanding you to preach the gospel. And we find it in this country way too easy to shrug that off. Way too easy to shrug that off. Do you think Jesus will come back in your lifetime? It's a possibility, isn't it? I mean, we see the world getting worse. Let me ask you something. If he showed up right now, how would you feel about the life that you've lived for him up to this point? I mean, we get to see in a little while what the Apostle Paul felt. And what an amazing thing to live life to the point of understanding that we're not perfect individuals, but also understanding 
We left it all on the field. Left it all on the field. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. To reprove, to use doctrinal teaching to correct someone's actions. Rebuke, to use the authority of God with passion, without doubt, to tell people this is what God expects of us. I stand up here as a preacher many times, and once in a while you get those sermons that are just kind of like going to nod people off. You just think they're going to go to sleep. And then I stand up here on other Sundays, and I think after an entire two weeks of preparation, I'm thinking, are you sure you want I'm going to make somebody mad, God. And I promise you, he says, no, you're not. I'm going to make somebody mad. Anybody in here like to be told you're wrong? Anybody in here like to be told you're wrong doing something you enjoy doing? Where would we be without the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Where would we be without someone who was willing to tell us the truth even when it seemed to hurt the most? How far would your parents go to stop you from doing things you shouldn't do? As far as I know, I've never met a Christian who was willing to whip somebody, right? But we should be willing to be individuals who are bold enough to tell people and to stand up. I've moved more and more on this. And I, I used to be influenced by individuals who would tell me, you know, you've got to be careful what you say on Facebook. You've got to be careful about those fights that you pick. You've got to be careful about these debates you get into people with people that go back and forth. What should I be more worried about? Somebody's feelings or somebody's soul? People don't want to hear sin is sin. People don't want to hear Jesus is the fix for sin. People don't want to hear that the lifestyles that they're living are not acceptable, especially in today's world where people are demanding to be individuals who are the opposite gender than God created them. Involving themselves in relationships that nature itself says is not natural. Committing acts that we know is harmful to us and harmful to others. Making decisions without doubt that are destructive to people. If we love each other, we will do these things. We will hold one another accountable. And if we love each other, then I'm going to let you do it. If I love Jesus, I'm even going to come to appreciate it. To exhort. To lift up. And all of this is to be done with great patience and instruction. You ever have somebody yell at you and you weren't even sure why you were being yelled at? You ever have somebody tell you that what you was doing was wrong but never would give you the reason why? As adults, we're super guilty of this. When our kids tell us why, what's our response? Because I said so, right? 
Don't ask me any questions about it. I tell you to do it. You blindly follow that command, which a child should do. Amen? But at the same time, we don't want our kids to grow up being individuals who do what they're do what they do just because they're told to do it because they're about to go out into a very real world out there and they're going to face other authority figures who are going to be over them and do we want them doing what they tell them to do just because they want them to do it or do we want them to have the ability to be able to deduce the ability to be able to think through something the ability to be able to decide whether this is something that's honoring to God or dishonoring to God the point's not to be mad at someone. The point's not to, to get a thrill out of holding someone, as, someone accountable. The, the point isn't for us to be individuals who get something out of the authority of just barking at someone. God wants individuals to know if they're doing something wrong, why it's wrong. But the church for years, and I'm talking about the whole church, the church of Jesus Christ, for years, has just said, this is what you need to do, period. And if you don't, there are consequences. People deserve more than that. Is that what Jesus did to us? Did he say, hey, you just do what I tell you to do because it's what I told you to do? He even called us friends. And through this friendship, he says, that everything the Father has told him, he shared with us. Verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. This was a struggle back then just as much as it is a struggle now. And it's now worse than it was back then. And I realize this is going on Facebook, and I'm liable to make an enemy. But, folks, I'm here to tell you, Joel Osteen is from the pits of hell because this is exactly what he does. Listen to me online. Come to my church. I'll tickle your ears. You open your wallet, and I'll keep doing it for money. It's going to get worse, folks. There are people who go to church because that's where their friends go. There are people who go to church because that's the music they like. There are people who go to church because that's where their parents go. There are people who go to church because that's where their siblings go. There are people who go to church for all kinds of reasons. I like a big church. I like a small church. I like a medium-sized church. I like the preacher to leave me alone. I like the preacher to shake my hand. I like the preacher. What have we made it about? Because if it's about anything but Jesus, if it's about anything but the gospel, if it's about anything but his purpose and plan, it's from the pits of hell. And I don't know about you, but in my experience, just about everything in Jesus Christ's purpose and plan goes contrary to my own. And occasionally I need to be reminded of that. Verse 5, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He gets very specific in this verse. He says, but you be sober in all things. In other words, keep your head screwed on straight. 
A drunk doesn't pay attention to their surroundings. A drunk can barely remember what they did the night before when they were drunk. A drunk can't control their faculties. A drunk can do very little very well. Be sober in all things. Occasionally, we do have to be people who just get alone with the Lord and allow him to recenter us. Because we're human beings and we will fall out, we will fall out of center as much as anything. Be sober in all things. The gospel could cost you your life. Are you still willing to preach it? That's being sober in all things. Endure hardship. Is there one person in here who hasn't, who hasn't experienced hardship in their life? To endure it means to come out of the other side. Not just to come out of the other side, but to come out of the other side stronger as a Christian than you were when you went into it. My dad used to enjoy saying, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. As long as your head and your heart's in the right place, every difficulty we face we learn from. Every difficulty we face, it has the potential of, of knocking us flat on our backs. It also has the potential of teaching us something that causes us to branch out even more. Here's the hard one. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Evangelism was an office. Back then it was an office in a church. They actually had individuals. There was a preacher, there was an evangelist. Now a preacher was to be a preacher teacher. An evangelist was someone who solely spoke for the purpose of individual salvation. So they spoke the gospel in the sense of Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave three days later. That was an evangelist in the office position. That was their responsibility. He was not calling Timothy into the office of an evangelist. He was telling him to do the work of an evangelist. So in the midst of all of the, of the truth sharing that we may do, in the midst of all of the gospel that we're preaching in season and out of season, we can never lose sight of the evangelistic call to salvation through Jesus Christ. People see us as Christians, we affirm a lot of things. And there are an awful lot of people out there who are really wondering how Christians live the lives that they live. And I don't know why in most cases those individuals have to ask us. We should be people who are willing to tell them whether they ask or not. Verse 6, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul has done something here that Jesus Christ himself had done. If you look in the Gospel according to John, I believe it's chapter 13, we see Jesus 
using this exact same um, practice at the time that he was going to be arrested, and he was going to go through what he was going to go through. The Apostle Paul knows that it's inevitable. He is not getting out of this situation alive. The time of my departure has come. Now, it wasn't like Paul was walking along one day and looked at his calendar and said, hey, you know what? In a week and a half, I am going to be arrested. And when I'm arrested, I'm not going to have any opportunity for me to catch up on the things that God's asked me to do that I need to do. So I'm going to work really hard for the next week and a half to get myself in a good spot to meet my maker. I have people all the time that ask me, do you think that there's any such thing as a bedside conversion? Yeah. Is that the smartest gamble to take? There's no way somebody knows whether they're going to have the opportunity for a a bedside conversion. There is no way. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. The Apostle Paul is just moving along, doing what it was that God had called him to do, and he was snatched up and arrested. The opportunity for Paul to do all that he wanted to do for Jesus, for all that he felt the conviction to do for Jesus, the time had ended for him to do anything else. Sure, he probably proclaimed the gospel while he was in prison. But as far as planting churches, as far as his missionary journeys, as far as his encouragement to other churches with his bodily visits, they're done. If something snatched us away right now, could we say I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith? Or if you had time to, would you say, man, I wish? In verse 8, and this is where Jesus, the practice that Jesus himself used, and the Apostle Paul's used it here too in the future. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, which the Lord, the, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. You know how Jesus got through all the abuse? The mocking, the whipping, the beating, the crucifixion itself. He went from the point of his trouble and looked through his difficulty to the goal that lied beyond it. So I started this off. I said, Jesus gave up his kingdom. He gave up his his eternal deity character. He became a human being who walked in the flesh on this earth for 33 and a half years. Many of us have already lived beyond the 33 and a half years. If you lived in eternal perfection, would you be anxious to get back to that? And Jesus only got there one way. He had to succeed at the task that was put before him. 
but he knew that regardless of how bad the abuse may be, that regardless of how long it took, that he would be restored to his former glory. He would assume his seat on the throne at the right hand of God once again. Having accomplished what it was that he was sent to accomplish, making it possible for human beings that are otherwise impossible to save. To save. The Apostle Paul, his story's not a whole lot different. Yeah, he couldn't bring salvation in the form of the death, burial, and resurrection, but he delivered salvation in the form of the gospel being proclaimed, churches being planted. If you look through the list of the challenges and struggles Paul went through in his entire life, he always had things to deal with. Did you know one of the most dangerous jobs on the planet was a missionary? Thieves, murderers on the road. The amount of trouble that he faced from his own countrymen, the amount of trouble that he faced from weather, the amount of trouble he faced from animals, the amount of trouble that he faced from the church. And I grew up as a Christian asking myself that one question, how in the world could Paul be Paul and do the things that he had done? And that's the answer. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul's saying, look, this is not a benefit that only I get. This is a benefit that's extended to you too. Do you have trouble? I'll be honest with you, you're going to have trouble whether you're doing it the way God wants you to do it or not. Because this is a fallen world. So why not do what we do and get in trouble for the Lord? And then we endure through all that difficulty because we are looking at the prize ahead. Eternal life, eternal perfection. No more influence of sin, no more influence of trial, tribulation. Instead, if the life that we live is faithful, we get the Lord himself to place a crown on our head and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your day of rest. It says in verse 9, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Make every effort to come to me soon. Why? Because Paul knew that at any moment they could come get him to take his head. He's saying, come to me quickly, Timothy. Demas, he loved the world, so he took off and deserted me. The other two who were with me have gone elsewhere. I'm all alone. I can tell you in my lifetime, in secular jobs, if I listed them out, 
they're in the double digits, the number of jobs that I worked before I become a pastor. And I can tell you that there is no more lonely of a job than ministering. I've been abandoned by people who I never dreamt in my life would abandon me. Hung out to dry, attacked. This is not something that only the Apostle Paul experiences, and it's not something that only I experience. It's something that you, if you accept the call of God in your life to minister, you will also experience this. When I became a believer, as a 16-year-old, I had a whole bunch of friends. They liked me. Because sometimes I would provide the drugs, or I would provide the alcohol, or I would be happy to sit down and consume theirs. Funny thing, when Christianity entered my life and it became something real, one of my first concerns is how in the world do I separate myself from these people who are not good for me. Turned out, God already had that covered. I didn't have to abandon them. Because they were going to abandon me. The number of times that I've gone with someone to go visiting, and I walk to the door and knock on it, only to turn and find that the person that went with me is sitting in the car. Or they go and they don't like they don't like the way it makes them feel for them to talk to somebody about their eternity, so they'll never return. Or you'll stick yourself out there like a green thumb. Rebuke doctrinally. And then you're abandoned because all of a sudden. You don't want to choose sides. I'm not afraid of dying. I am a little bit afraid of dying alone. I've gone on runs with Brown Funeral Home. It's been a long time, but I went on a few. Two of the ones that stick out the most for me men who died and laid in their apartments for over two weeks. And you think, how in the world does somebody lay in their apartment for two solid weeks, not one soul check on them? In one of those cases, Bob paid for the entire funeral because no family member stepped forward. And you know what happened during that funeral service? After the funeral service was over, a family member rose out of the dust and said, hey, that's my uncle, and I want his car. You can only imagine what the Apostle Paul was feeling at the time that he felt like that he was all alone. You can imagine what, what was going through the heads of the individuals who did know Paul. I mean, Paul was arrested for being a Christian. 
What's the potential? What could happen to me if I show up to visit with the Apostle Paul, also being a Christian? What disappointed the Apostle Paul, I believe, more than anything else was that he was alone and why he was alone. Because he had given everything to the church. And when it came time for him to be done, the church was not there for him. Verse 11 says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark, bring him with you, for he's useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Luke, the physician. He's called for Timothy to come to him. He says to bring me the cloak. Again, come soon. The apostle Paul don't know when his life is going to be called for. Where the apostle Paul was, it was cold or getting cold. So just in case he was to live to the point that he was to get that he would be cold, he asked for a cloak. The cloak was a heavier outer garment that was used when it was cooler outside. The parchments, we don't know whether these parchments are Old Testament books if they're letters that he had already been working on or if they were empty parchments. But we do know this, with all that was going on in Apostle Paul's life, with him knowing that his life was going to be called for, with him knowing that he had been abandoned, with him knowing that he had need, he had one thing on his mind. Because I guarantee you there was only one thing that could have possibly been on them parchments. The Word of God. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposes our teaching. It is believed the coppersmith, Alexander, was a man who made idols. When the apostle Paul was arrested, Alexander gave false testimony about the apostle Paul which ultimately led to the Apostle Paul being the perfect candidate for Nero to use for his scapegoat. So he tells him, be on your guard. When I was younger, I used to say, that'll never happen in America. Ever say that? I mean, it's really the same attitude as the that will never happen to me attitude. That will never happen in America. Guard up, guard down. Down. You think that people aren't willing to bear false witness towards you? Especially as they continue to increase to hate the truth more? Make no mistake, it's not just about the people who are lost in this world. It's also about the ones who are dumbing down the word of God. The ones like Joel Osteen. I say that because if you look it up on, on YouTube, 
you get to see a little squabble match between John MacArthur. I'm no John MacArthur. But you get to see a little squabble match between John MacArthur and Joel Osteen. When I was younger and I found it, I found a snake. I caught it. Now that I'm older and I find a snake, I kill it. But there's a third kind of person in the world. The one who finds a snake and just entirely avoids it. Which of the three of those categories do you fall into? Verse 16 says, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. You talk about a guy with a full heart. I've been put in spots, not like his, but I mean spots similar to this. And I'm here to tell you that the one overbearing emotion that is front and center is anger. It's disappointment. It certainly isn't best wishes for those who did it to me. That's not the first inclination. Yeah, when you seek out the Lord in it, he tells you what his purpose in it is, what he expects of us, but that certainly isn't what we as human beings feel. May it not be counted against them. I don't believe that he made this statement just meaning from God, but I believe that he also made this statement from those who were genuinely still part of the church. Still today, I struggle with individuals who I appreciate support, okay? But when I, when not even I, I try not to bring it up, but when things are brought up that's happened in the past, other people are still angry at those individuals. A little part of me, the human being inside, wants other people to pay them back. The Apostle Paul says, may it not be counted against them. In other words, Paul wasn't burning bridges, he was building them. These people that abandoned Paul, where he was at that point in his life, Paul wanted those individuals to have the opportunity to return to the church. He didn't want the opportunity taken away. He wanted them to have the opportunity to return to the church. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The lion's mouth in Jewish history always meant destruction. I found myself in that spot. It's a song that in those difficult times, I won't mention the song. That's pretty special to me. But it's a song that reminds me that even in the times of my life where I feel like I'm alone, 
or if I feel like I may have been abandoned, that there is one who will never leave me or forsake me. And the fact is, folks, God's got to be so real to us that that's who he is to us. And in most people's lives, that is not who he is to people. He is someone who stands with us. He's someone who's with us. He is someone who is continually there and has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. So as difficult as it is in the times of our lives where we feel like we're alone and abandoned, we have to remember that there is one who is still with us. And the reminder that he's with us also reminds us why we're here. And the Apostle Paul, in his first offense, nobody else to speak with him or for him. What did the Apostle Paul speak? The gospel. He didn't shy away from it. He didn't shy away from it because it was going to cost him his life. He didn't shy away from it because he was afraid his experience would get worse. He didn't shy away from it, period. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed, will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I would love to see Highland be <clears throat> and has been a church that speaks the truth to the extent that the Holy Spirit moves individuals to service. Never mentioned this before, but I had the Missouri Baptist Convention contact me about five years after I had been here. And they were starting this program called a revitalization program. And they called and they said, according to our records, your church has grown astronomically from the numbers that it was when you first became the pastor there. And they sent me this book of basically 10 pages asking me 10 questions on each page. And not one of them applied. What's the secret? It's no secret. It's attachment. It's family. It's fellowship. It's relationship. It's ministry. It's involvement. A whole bunch of believers who gather in one place for one purpose, who fulfill a particular role in that purpose. And through that, we build relationships, attachments, and involvement. There'll be times when you think you're in it alone. And I hope that we're a church family where that will never be the case. But I know when you leave this place, you face a world out there that's a whole lot different than the one in here. And we've been called to fill a purpose. And if we're not filling that purpose, can we even call ourselves a church? Because it means something more than a building. And it means something more than a person who says that they belong to Christ. The church was instituted, instituted to do the work of Christ. And if the church isn't doing it, 
It just quite simply isn't the church. Will it be hard? Yes. Will it be difficult days? Absolutely. Will it be worth it? One hundred percent. So song leaders come forward. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, followed through in believer's baptism. Um, if you want to come up here, you're welcome to do that. I can't save you, but I'll spend whatever time is necessary to share the information as clearly as I can about the Jesus who can. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, just be, I can't ask nothing more than you just be obedient to the Holy Spirit. If he's moving you, don't disregard what he's saying. Disregard what I say all you want to. Don't disregard what he says. I can ask nothing more as a pastor than for you to hear what he says, allow him to lead you, and you faithfully follow him. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.